The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live! From MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. Hope you're all enjoying this second week of May in 2023. Hope the weather is beautiful and nice and much warmer and a lot to talk about. This week, as always on the program, we had UFC 288 this past weekend. We have multiple events this weekend. We had one of the weirder press conferences in recent memory this week. It's it's, it's combat sports, ladies and gentlemen. It's what we're used to. So let's get into this and introduce the combatants and what should be a very spicy matchup. First, Mr. No Gray Area, the co-host of No Bets Bard, bringing takes so hot They'll sting your nostrils. From MMAfighting.com, Mr. Jed Mishu. Hello, sir. How are you? <laughs> you got to taper that off because I I don't think I have the takes today. Like, what is there to take on given, given what's happened this last week? Like, it's all, we'll talk about it. I just don't think there are takes. I don't think there, it's hard to have takes from this, I think. Well, every time you say that in your introduction, that means you have many takes and we're not prepared for them, but... <laughs> Back on the show, and it's damn great to have him. He's Dana White's favorite media member and also a man who is no stranger to spicy takes. The only person in BTL history, mind you, that can stretch 60 seconds into four minutes and change and get away from it. From the multi-time award-winning morning combat, Mr. Brian Campbell. BC, how are you, sir? Got my white belt ready because that's the type of jujitsu takes I got for you. All right. That's all I got. Hey, I'm undefeated on this show. Let's see if we can keep that going. All right. Yes. Looking to improve to five and oh today. And Jed's record. Let, I don't even know what it is. Let's be real. 
one of those is a fake win. You didn't have an answer when I hosted last time for the yeah, fifth round. Yeah, you know, well, I, and yeah, you still yeah. won. I may have won on charm alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> the people's champ, Brian Campbell. So let's start with UFC 288 in the main event. Aljamain Sterling defeats Henry Cejudo via split decision. It was a, a good fight. I've rewatched it a couple of times. Very competitive. I enjoyed it very much. The scorecards were kind of weird, but in the end, at least in most people's eyes, the right fighter won. So BC, it has been five days since Aljamain Sterling got the UFC title wrapped around his waist once again. What was your biggest takeaway from the fight and also your biggest takeaway from the aftermath of it all? Uh, it's been five days. Wow, that's all right. Uh, look, here's my biggest way, takeaway from the fight. It's time we start respecting who Aljamain Sterling is. He has had the the bantamweight title reign that has been anything but clear, clean, and contagious. Uh, the, from the DQ win to the victory over TJ Dillashaw's uh, broken shoulder that uh, probably should have been more of a no contest than Matt Hamill's, uh, you know, nine to six there. But the whole point is this, what Sterling's putting together around that, the rematch against Piotr Jan and what we saw here, this victory over Henry Cejudo, uh, this guy's absolutely legit. Is he the best fighter without question in the sports best division globally? I still think that's an answer we do not know and hopefully will find out. Although, let's throw some respect to some of the great bantamweights outside of the UFC, including Patchy Mix, who are making his own noise these days. But what I learned is that, is that Sterling went up against an absolutely legit Cejudo who pulled off three years away from the sport, something that really only the legends before him, the all-time greats, have been able to do to come back and largely act like no time has passed and have been that close to pulling it off. But as you mentioned off the top, the right guy won in Aljo at 33 years old. This is a guy that we've written off a few times, especially when he suffered those back-to-back -back split decision losses a few years ago. Yet he just keeps grinding and evolving. We always know he's long, a little bit you know, dangerous on the ground, a little bit awkward to face. But what he put together in terms of movement, a pace, and really just all out thought the great thinker in Henry Cejudo at every turn. My biggest takeaway from this is if he's not the best in the sport's best division, he's close to solidifying that. This is another win we should prop up and care about because this is Al Joe reminding us how pound for pound great he can be. Jed, uh, we reacted immediately after this fight on the post-fight show, but several days have passed. What's your biggest takeaway from the fight from Saturday now? What has come from it over the last five or so days as well? And, uh, do you agree with, I mean, BC said something I know you just love, Bantamweight, globally, the best division in the sport. I mean, that's just not correct, but I'm, I fought that battle so many times that I'm I'm comfortable just leaving. Well, what is People it, women's strawweights? What is it, Meshu, all right? No, it's, it's, it's not women's strawweights. So I know you have a particular affinity for that one. It, it's lightweight. It's always been lightweight. It's always going to be lightweight. But people can have wrong opinions is totally okay <laughs> totally okay to be one of the dumbs entirely fine so uh i do largely agree with with what he with the rest of what brian's saying though right like uh i will i'm comfortable calling out jermaine sterling the best band weight in the world now if he fought patchy mix maybe maybe patchy mix wins patchy mix is very very good that's kind of the deal with any of the high level weight classes of band weight featherweight lightweight welterweight like any dude in that top 10 mix is 
could win the belt on any given day. But I think the the resume Sterling has put together, the wins he has, even though they've all been weird during this title run, like every one of them has some sort of a small asterisk that can be ascribed to it if you're trying to pick him apart. Like for me, he's been the best Bantamweight since the rematch with Piotr Jan. Uh, and I'm still... I thought, frankly, that this was his best performance. It is not his, you know, it, it doesn't jump off the page like the Corey Santagan one did, obviously, because that's, it's not the same. But this was the most complete Aljamain Sterling look to me in there, the most comfortable he looked striking, which has always been my big negative to him. I, I went back and watched it. He, I have always thought that he is not a bad striker, but that he looks hurried and rushed because it is not what he wants to do. And against Cejudo, he there was much less of that. And it, it's like Brian said, he a, a lot of it was him simply outthinking Henry Cejudo. Now, the circumstances are are what they are. If Cejudo hadn't taken three years off, would this fight have gone the same? Who's to say? We can't. All we can say is what happened there and what happened there is I thought Aljamain Sterling won. If you wanted to score that fight for Henry Cejudo, it's acceptable. It's not what I would do. I, I think it's a, a four, anywhere from 4-1 Sterling to 3-2 Cejudo is a fine scorecard. And so I think Aljamain Sterling has kind of solidified himself as the best Bantamweight in the world. I don't know how long he gets to hold that title. Um, uh, Sean O'Malley obviously has to defend there. Uh, your mileage is going to vary on whether you think Sugar Sean has any chance in that fight or not, and then he's going to he's going to scram. But if he had to stick around, if featherweight wasn't an option for Sterling, I wouldn't pick him to hold the belt for three more title defenses. But I mean, he's already done a lot. He's got three title defenses under his belt. That's more than anyone in the UFC, though. Here's my one take on this. It's not even a take. It's just I got to get this one off my chest because a lot of people have been saying it. We got to stop pretending that the WEC didn't exist. I know that the WEC is not the same organization as the UFC, but for a good stretch of it, they were functionally the same for the lower weight classes, for featherweight and bantamweight, which there were not UFC weight classes, they were Zoof. It was two Zoof-owned companies, and they were the champions. Dominic Cruz has four defenses of his bantamweight belt across the two promotions. You give the man his due. It is not his fault that the UFC wasn't wasn't allowing him to fight in their company, and he had to fight in the blue cage. So. I don't like the oh, record-breaking most title defenses. It is technically true by the spirit of it. It's not true, but doesn't change the fact that it's an incredible accomplishment and the second best division in the sport, and we should all give Aljamain Sterling his props. Well, the record isn't broken by Aljo for most title defenses, most consecutive title defenses. In the oh. UFC. No one has defended it three different times. I, I understand. But, uh, Jed, we know where he's going. We know where Aljo's going. And we'll get into that in a moment. But Henry Cejudo kind of left things up in the air on Saturday night. And you said he's coming back. You felt pretty good about it. And then a couple of days nailed later. Nailed it. You nailed it. He calls out the majestic jacket thief, Marab Dewellish Willie, for August in Boston. And with this division being what it is right now and where Cejudo is right now coming off that very competitive fight in a losing effort – is this the right fight to make? If you were handling Henry Cejudo's fighting career, is this what you would have told him to do? Go for Marab and see how that falls. Yes, because that's what I told him to do immediately after the fight in our post show. I said, he's not leaving. I don't buy this at all. He's going to go home, think about it for 10 seconds and be like, oh, 
they don't have anything to do with Marab right now. Corey Sandhagen has sort of called for it, but you'll notice when Corey Sandhagen called for that fight after his, you know, great win, great performance, there was not a, a surge of people being like, hell yeah, let's do it. There was like people being like, respect the call out, think that's a good call out for you, but it didn't galvanize the fan base <laughs> in any way. So there's an opportunity. He's the best chance for, and I mean, uh, Coach Eric said it, Eric Albarcine said it yesterday on the MMA Hour. Look, if, if Cejudo had to go back and fight number eight and string together a couple of wins, no, he's not going to do that. But he can come and fight Marab, and it's a functionally a number one contenders match. He he beats Marab and Sean O'Malley wins. Boom, Cejudo versus O'Malley. He beats Marab and Aljo wins. Aljo's then moving up. It's Cejudo versus maybe Sandhagen for the interim or for the the now vacant belt or whatever. So I think this was always the most obvious path forward for him. I think I think he's going to get it. Uh, I think it makes sense mostly. I mean, I know some people are Corey Sandhagen stands, but I think this is right on all counts and maybe not the timeline. I don't know about Boston happening, but. Uh, Maybe not that exact timeline, but I do think this is the fight, and I think it's it's the right way to go. BC, is this the fight? Cejudo versus Marab. This is the fight. This is the fight. Henry's got too much left in the tank. I mean, he was that close. He was one bad scorecard, to be fair, from actually winning a split decision on, on, under the way it was set up there. I thought he rightfully lost. I also thought, as Jed did, that you could flip-flop so many of those rounds that any score would have been acceptable. You can't walk away from that. What we do need to take close attention to, though, is who Suhudo is and his true intentions. And I think he showed that in the post-fight interviews, both in the cage and at the press conference afterwards. He's here to make history. He's here to do things people say he can't. He's an achiever. He dares to be great on that level. He wants a fight that very few in this game are willing to even entertain in their minds to give him, which is Volkanovski at 145 for the featherweight title and the chance to become the first three division champion in MMA at the extreme highest level. We always thought Connor would be the first to try that. He still might for all we know, but what's the path to get there? I think it actually is given his own three year personal retirement, which at the timing, the abrupt nature of it, obviously UFC didn't want, they don't want fighters to, to follow his lead and be, be that level of advantageous in trying to pick and choose when they come and go to avoid having to fight all those contenders. But I still think going back in there against Marab, a guy who cannot fight for the title at the moment, given the friendship for Aljo, it's perfect. So Hudo's basically a title fight from the standpoint of critical respect for Marab, and it's something major to keep him busy to delay the inevitable transaction that's going to happen, which is either Kane and, uh, and Daniel Cormier part two, or the two of them decide to fight each other and we got Jones versus Rashad right now. But the thing I think for Cejudo is whether you want him at F-145 against Volkanovski or think he should get a chance, he can't get there without regaining the Bantamweight title, in my opinion, based on how the UFC business and power structure works for stars. This is the quickest way to get back in there. And I think also, can we sprinkle a little bit more of love and respect that onto what we already gave Aljo? Maybe him befriending Marab on this level was the smartest thing possible because when we say we're not fully sure that Aljo's the best uh weight in the world at the moment, yeah, some of that is the mythical idea of him fighting Patchy Mix. A lot of that might be, you know, some of that is also could the style contrast of O'Malley solve him, but a lot of that might be that possibly the best bantamweight in the world is in his own gym there with Coach Longo and Coach Sarah in Marab. So not only does he not have to fight him, he gets that key training partner with such a motor and wrestling ability. 
that that ultimately was the difference in why he did win against Cejudo. And I think Henry himself said it afterwards. I did not think he was going to be able to take me down, let alone get up so easily when I took him down. We all know Aljo has always had a great jiu-jitsu game. Corey Sanhagen knows that better than anyone. But his ability to stay off of his back and to constantly force Cejudo to second guess and think and, and go down to plans B, C, D, E, and F uh, were the key at the end of the day. So Cejudo wants to make history. The path to do that would be through Marab. I am interested, though, at the end of the day, as a lot of people to find out how deep this friendship is. And on top of that, is DC really a great friend? Or did he just know what Kane was really made of? You got to ask yourself that, okay? All right. Before we redefine DC's legacy here, okay? All right. He may have been smarter than all of us, and Aljo might be too. And boy, is Dana trying to get that fight going. He's like, Marab could just <laughs> Marab could get the title fight right now, but he just doesn't want to fight yeah. his friend. And I mean, promoter 101 right there. But uh, just like Francis, BC, he doesn't want to fight John. That's why he ran yep. away, right? He doesn't want to fight John. <laughs> you know? That's why he left. Mike, let me ask you a question because based on what BC said, I firmly disagree, but I I understand where he's coming from. BC was saying that this is the path for Cejudo to get the Volkanovski fight. And I, I know that that's what Cejudo thinks, and I understand that without this, there is no path. I think that the Volkanovski fight is gone. I don't think that there's any world where that can happen a- after this loss. Am I am I crazy for that? I mean, if he goes out there and just wrecks Marab and then he like fights O'Malley and wrecks O'Malley, maybe gets another win and Volk sticks around at 45, maybe? If Volk, here's my, but I think Volk's Here's my problem with here. that though. Here's my problem with that though. If if that happens, it, by somewhat by definition, S- Sterling will have had to have gotten a title fight already against Volkanovski for this to be part of the journey. And so at this point, we're now talking about Volkanovski just repeatedly defending his belt against Bantamweight champions, and that just doesn't – he they might make him do it once. I just am not confident at all that Volk's going to be like, yes, I will continue fighting this smaller man moving up to me because his aspirations are are to get a second belt. So I think that this is gone. I think if Cejudo had won this fight and beats beats O'Malley, then I think he's finally going to get it. I think by losing this fight, the Volk is is a pipe dream that can no longer ever okay. happen. Well, well, Jed, if I could just counter that, I'd say this. Look, sure. the whole point here is outside of Yair, Volk's beaten everybody else. So if your stance is that, no, I don't think he Volk's hasn't. <laughs> Uh, if you're standing, he's beaten Max Holloway three times. It's not the same thing as beating everybody else. Sorry, I mean, he that's beat like this my biggest really good pet looking peeve guy in this one sport. time. He almost got tapped out by that really good looking guy one time. Uh, but here's the deal, though. Look, uh, if you're trying to say Volkanovski sooner or later going to rematch Islam and move up to 155 full time, yes. I might even agree with you on there. But I don't think that even changes Suhudo's path. Suhudo's not in this for Volkanovski, although when you have a short stature champion at a weight class above you, it does. If you're already short in your own weight class, which Henry is, that's a better idea. But I still think it's possible for him to be fighting Yair for the title or Max Holloway for the featherweight title Jesus. if he gets to that point. But the key here, Jed, is he's got to get to that point. He's got to beat Marab, and then he's going to have to beat the winner of Aljo versus uh, uh, what uh, Momali. But the whole point here is I think Cejudo is too good to go away, and there's still time to make more history, and he knows that. He fought very well on Saturday night, and I think a lot of people, even though we are hearing debate about the disputed nature of the scoring, a lot of people are forgetting exactly what he just did. Turn back time three years later, yeah, he started a little bit slow. It took him some time to adjust, but he still got it, brother. 
And I don't, you know, I hear enough in my ear from Luke Thomas going, stop this 145 madness. The guy's too short. He could never, he couldn't sniff Volk's farts. You know what I mean? Henry Cejudo can outthink just about anybody. The fact that Sterling outstrategized him and outlasted him is a huge feather in Sterling's camp. Henry's still that dude, whether you prefer cringe media or not. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think it's more about the belt than the opponent. I mean, look, if if Cejudo could draw it out, he would love to beat Volkanovski to to get to there and become the first three division champion. That's like the coolest way to do it. But so at the end of the day, agree, at this point, I, agree, I don't think that matters. I agree. For him, it's certainly more about the belt than the opponent. I guess part of my is just like as paradoxical as this is, because Alexander Volkanovski is at worst the second best fighter on the fucking planet. Uh, Cejudo, by nature of stature, just has a better chance of at least competing. He would get tuned up by Max Holloway. Like that's he, the the biggest issue he had with Sterling was simply managing range. And Sterling isn't that tall. He's like five seven. Like he's not that big a dude. He's just towers over Cejudo. I think the only like. I don't know who at featherweight wouldn't have that same sort of advantage over him and also even more size. Like I I don't think he can beat Volk. I think Volk would be the one guy who you could maybe sell me that he could do something against. I, I just don't – I just think it's gone. I think that dream died and that's okay. It's really hard to be a two-division champion. It's going to be close to impossible to be a three-division champion. Well, the one thing yeah, Henry's got to be worried of here quickly to close – is if Aljo beats O'Malley, even if Henry beats Marab, Aljo may be the one fighting Volk for the 145 title. Exactly. Exactly. I just think there are too many paths. And I do think, I think Henry has a really good shot against Marab. So, but I mean, that is also the first step of this. There are like 10 steps on the path to get there, and all of them are incredibly hard. And time is not on his side. He is already old in a weight class where that age is like milk. I think he's just boned for that that particular dream at this point. Did he say boned? Boned. He did. B-O-N-E apostrophe D, like as an adjective yes. or as a verb? <laughs> okay. <laughs> damn, damn boned to be here, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Grammar well, with BC. I, <laughs> yes, I love the the little sound effect right there too. Uh, last thing on this because BC, obviously it looks like we're going to get Aljamain Sterling versus Sean O'Malley. Dana wants it in Boston. Sean O'Malley wants it in Boston in August. There's been sort of mixed thoughts on how UFC 288 did on pay-per-view BC because Captain Eric, like Jed said, was on the MMA Hour yesterday. He said because of Henry Cejudo, it got to 700,000 buys, which – and I like Captain Eric a lot. He's been very nice to me. There is no friggin' way that pay-per-view did 700,000 pay-per-view buys, which is basically immediately redacted by Aljamain Sterling. He was like, eh, I think we did like 250,000 and we might be yeah. lucky to get there. Oh, and O'Malley is probably the biggest name and star in this division right now, BC. So if this was a main event, Aljamain Sterling versus Sean O'Malley, is this a big-ass drawing fight in your opinion? And if so, like, how big do you think this could be? Is this 500, 600, 700,000, or are we like 350, 400,000? It's really going to test the star power of O'Malley, obviously. Could it peak out at 500 if promoted right? And what does that mean these days? If promoted is really what I'm saying here. Am I taking unnecessary shots at the UFC machine? 
I don't know. Am I? They don't do press tours anymore. Like, look, the idea of could O'Malley win this style was, I love the style contrast in this matchup, but I do think the whole idea of could O'Malley win this? Yes, he could. And if he does, it could end up being somewhat like a McGregor Aldo situation, even though I'm not comparing Aldo to, to Sterling in this chance. I just mean his one skill may be so grand, his striking range control ability to be dangerous that it may not matter. So could you build up this fight if you did a press tour, if you did the kind of trash talk churning that creates the type of crossover attention that a star like O'Malley could bring onto himself? Maybe. I think ultimately the problem is they were pretty cringe in the cage against one another after 288. I argued with a lot of people who hate that fanfare and said, look, in general, I like that. Bring in the guy who has next. Let's create a moment. Let's create something that will will be in our minds. I still got the two of them facing off in my head. O'Malley is taller than I, than I remembered, thinking, okay, physically, wow, look at how they match up. I like that. Is the cringe back and forth, though, going to be enough fuel? Does Aljo have enough crossover fans to really make this a monster success? The answer still is no. But I think, obviously, if O'Malley has his moment and wins the title, this could be the breakthrough fight where you get a pretty good platform of views, but it leads, obviously, to O'Malley being a consistent box office stud. Uh, he'd have to win, most likely, for that to happen. But I think it's probably the fight after that is really the, the real giant breakthrough one. Jed, is this a big fight? Is Aljamain Sterling Sean O'Malley like a big fight or is this like a, a tremendous co-main event to something else? It's a, they'll, it's a big fight. They'll give it the main event. Um, I, I echo a lot of what BC said. It's probably – this is probably the one to get you to the next one if you're O'Malley and if you win. But uh, I, they will let him try and cook it and see how it goes. Uh, can I just for one second because this was the wildest <laughs> thing to me that's happened this week – just what kind and i i want to choose my words really carefully to be as as kind as i possibly can what kind of moron do you have to be to refute pay-per-view numbers and make <laughs> yourself look bad these are numbers that literally no one has access to, and there was no reason. Coach Eric said the insane thing of 700,000, which everyone immediately was like, that's very clearly not true, and that would have been fine. There was no need for Aljamain Sterling to put himself on blast as a person that generates interest by being like, that's ridiculous. They told me at we'd be lucky to sell 250 who is this for? Who are you helping by saying that? It's not yourself. There wasn't even a reason. The The only reason to say that is to get a win over a clearly insane person who's not even saying anything bad about you. He's saying you should thank us because you we made you more money. He isn't saying you should thank us and that's why we have to do an immediate rematch. He's just saying... I don't know why you thought us doing this. It is an insane thing to me for Aljo to have been like, yeah, I only sold 250 if I'm lucky in your face, Coach Eric. Like, what the shit, man? Do you understand fight sport at all? That is so dumb. Like, it is so baffling to me that that is a thing that happened yesterday. 
Well, look, this play, uh, Jed's actually right on here. So let me not let me not argue against him, but just sprinkle even more sugar on top. Aljo is the worst case scenario in terms of protecting his own future pay-per-view rights as a star. He hasn't figured out what identity is going to work best. I think at the end of the day, what identity is the best for you is the real one, whoever you are, rather than leaning in what you think might be marketable. Not only is that statement hilarious and Jed broke it down perfectly, but I think in general, like – why why do I why do we ultimately say the fight after the fight for O'Malley? If he goes and wins the title against Aljo to be a big deal, but if he fights either Marab or Henry after that, there's a different way that's going to be presented, a different way it's going to be received. And it only plays down to I don't think Aljo knows. Do I do I be the humble guy who works hard or do I be the guy who's showing up in pictures celebrating the title after the DQ win? Or do I be the guy who's, you know, calling on people to boo him in his own town, home, hometown and then afterwards getting mad on it? I think the most real thing we heard from Aljo was the tail end of his in-cage post-fight interview where he's basically like, who do you, like, who do you guys want me to be? Like, what do you, you know, you're all out here booing me. I'm just working hard. Aljo's got to just kind of figure out who he is. But who he is is a great fighter and maybe, maybe the best fighter in the sports best division. So just focus on that and, and, and um, I don't want to say less talking, but uh, – you know, Cejudo's the cringe guy in this division, not you, but I was just a little cringe lately. I, I wish he would just kind of figure out who am I, and I'm standing by that rather than floating back and forth on character and I'm going to fake trash talk in this spot. Just be you, all right? Just be. Just look, look, I'm an absolute dirt hole, but I'm not hiding it. I'm not hiding it, okay? I'm an absolute dirtbag. Jed can have all <laughs> the law degrees. We see the ponytail. We know who that guy is, right? Yeah. All I'm saying is just don't say numbers that show how bad you are. You could have just been like, that's ridiculous and left your response at that or like a hand wave. Like you could have done anything other than be like, no, here are the receipts. Here's how bad I am. Yeah. In your face. It's just insane. It was nobody talked about it. It was nuts. That was wild. Who knows? Maybe Aljo can get the rub off of a Sean O'Malley win, but who knows? But we've talked about this a lot. We got more to talk to. The point for round one goes to... I mean, a flash knockdown at the end of round one gives it to Jed Mishu. Nicely done. One nothing. Epic rant. Oh, I'm not going to have takes today. Bam. Nailed it. I, tremendous. I, it flew so under the radar, I even forgot that Aljo dunked on himself yesterday. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, cool. Good move. See? That's the beauty of the show. We, we, we remind you. We bring up things that you may have forgotten about. Um, the NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. So let's move on to the rest of UFC 288 in case you forgot about that, because in the co-main event, Bilal Muhammad gets a one-sided decision victory over Gilbert Burns. It's a huge win. The man steps in on very short notice, very little time to train, and he did the damn thing. So we're going to do something fun here. This is what I like to call in the biz, putting a hat on a hat. We're going to play a game within a game that I don't think anybody has ever played before in the history of this space. We're going to play Who Do You Believe More? And the subjects of this game are two people you never thought would be put together in this type of a situation. The subjects are UFC president Dana White and the next in line for the welterweight title, Colby Covington. Yes, you have to pick who you believe more. And yes, history is being made here, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so honored to be a part of this. So, Jed, I'm going to start with you. Let me lay this out to you, okay? I'm going to paint you a picture. Dana White says, leading into this fight between Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns, and after the fight is over, says 100% Bilal Muhammad's next fight will be for the welterweight title. And let's be clear, I think we all agree that it should. Now, Colby Covington told me this week he ain't buying it. There's going to be too much space between UFC 288, his assumed title fight with Leon Edwards, and I guess the aftermath of it all, and that Bilal is going to have to fight again if he's going to get a title shot anytime soon. So Jed Mishu, who do you believe? Dana White or Colby Covington? I cannot believe I'm saying this. Um, I'm going to go with Colby Covington on this one. I, I, I said it in the lead up and nothing that happened on Saturday has changed my mind. Bilal Muhammad deserves it. He deserves to be the next guy fighting far, far more than Colby Covington deserves the title shot that he is assumed is we are assumed he is getting, but Barring injury, barring Covington having to pull out of the fight with injury or something similar with Leon and them doing an interim belt, 
it appears they're doing Leon versus Covington. And that fight is going to happen late summer, early fall. Like that sort of feels like the timeline that we're looking at right now, which means Bilal is going to be on the shelf in a, in the best case scenario for him. He's on the shelf until the end of the year, early of next year. And in between now and then a million things could happen. So many things could happen that are bad for Bilal Muhammad in this scenario. The two most obvious ones are one, Shavkat Rachmanov. Should he find someone to fight again and he fights that person and he does Shavkat Rachmanov things like finishing that person, it's going to be a much more of a groundswell for that man to get his shot at the title. Uh, to to jump in line. The bigger one, though, and the one that is really potentially a huge problem for, for Bilal, and it's dumb. Don't get me wrong. Very, very dumb. Conor McGregor is at some point going to fight Michael Chandler, uh, and the fight's going to be contested at 170 pounds because why not? And if Conor can win that fight, then we know this ain't a meritocracy. There's no merit ain't got nothing to do with it. And if Connor says, I want to be the first guy to fight for a third belt in a third different weight class. And Colby Covington has beaten Leon Edwards in this point in time, Colby Covington, you will, I don't know what the UFC would have to do to make Colby Covington fight Bilal Muhammad instead of fighting Connor McGregor. So I think there is a huge window of opportunity for Bilal to have to fight again simply because you cannot stay on the shelf as long as will probably be required and that sucks for him but it's sort of the way things go in the sport these days bc this question sort of signifies why i was against this co-main event to begin with not the matchup itself because this should have been the fight to be made it should have been the eliminator fight but to rush it on this card where really wasn't going to make that much of a difference in terms of gross revenue. I mean, that headliner already told us how many freaking pay-per-views it did. And this fight didn't do much for it. It wasn't going to do anything for pay-per-view buys. It really made no sense to me. But for the sake of the question, Dana White said, yes, Bilal gets the winner of Leon Colby. Colby says, nah, man, not happening. He's going to fight again. Who do you believe more, Dana or Colby? Well, there's a problem. I don't believe anybody. I don't even believe Dana White works for the UFC anymore, to be very clear with you. I, I know he definitely works for Power Slap, and I see that everywhere. But my point is this. <laughs> what are we doing here on matchmaking in general? Like, why the hell was Pena Nunes 3 ever even on the table? Why are we making these guys fight on three weeks' notice with a fight with this much at stake when both of their paths, meaning Muhammad and Burns, had seemingly led to a can't-miss opportunity and you're like, yeah, can't miss. You can't miss it. It's in three weeks, even though, Bilal, you're currently, you know, fasting for a month for Ramadan. And Gilbert, you've already fought, what, three times in the last four months? I mean, what are we doing here? You have to obviously give Bilal Muhammad credit. Both fighters signed off for the stakes here. It, it, it just blows my mind that this was not only booked, not only rushed, but it was a five-round fight in a co-main event not because i don't think number one contender fight should be five rounds i do probably because these guys just fought or were fasting and had no business being in this fight the decisions that are being made business wise right now matchmaking wise head co-main event and main event wise across the board are head scratching at best of late not only are we going through a severe watering down of the competition schedule this calendar year mixed in with a lot of the weird headlines and the fighter pay and all this business going on 
there's nothing about this welterweight title decision that made sense. So, yes, Bilal gets the credit. They both signed up for it. He was mentally tougher. His body held up better, even though he had his own injury coming in, just barely, though, and he got the win. But what do you say to Gilbert Burns, who we know he's a savage. He'll accept a fight against anybody at any point in any location, as long as the money is good. Like, he's the model employee. So what do you do? You call him up and say, I know you just beat Jorge. But if you really want a title shot, right, you got to then fight this guy again on three weeks notice. Yeah, the guy's going to fight through any injury that's going to happen. I don't like that Bilal gets this win and graduates there because it was such a weird fight, but he did win it. They did have it. He has to be next. So, yeah, this is going to be an issue here. You're right. We don't have a date for for Colby. God, you're talking about the McGregor fight. Is that going to happen this calendar year? Not only do we not even have a date or an idea uh, wasn't Connor supposed to serve six months for USADA, the pool that he's not even in right now? Oh, come, called oh, come on. All these- oh, come on. <laughs> so my whole what point is this. I mean, who do I believe more, Colby or Dana? I mean, Ron DeSantis, is he on the ballot too? I mean, who else do I not believe? <laughs> I don't believe anything that comes out of Dana White's mouth right now beyond the general place we've already been in for a decade – lumping Dana with, you know, Bob Arum and all the other great promoters. In general, you have to take everything they say with a grain of salt because things can change and business is always going to come first and win. But right now in particular, I really don't know what's going on in terms of decision-making and I feel bad for Gilbert Burns and I almost feel bad for Muhammad too. Even though he got the win in advance, he already had the 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 hiccup of that no contest um, against Leon where we never got a resolution. I'm sorry. In that fight last Saturday, I didn't really get a resolution either. And that's not because I'm a Gilbert Burns fan or I hate Bilal. It's just why, why, why these terms? But yeah, what's going to happen next? Bilal better be fighting for that title next because you broke meritocracy to make all these stupid decisions, but all these stupid decisions played together. And here we are. And Bilal is the last man standing. So there better be meritocracy involved in him getting that title. I'm sorry. Keep Connor away. What are we doing? I mean, this. I really, I'm honestly, I'm starting to feel like I'm the only person on the street corner with the sign and everyone else is like, you know what, dude, shut the frick up. Okay. Go back to boxing because you know, UFC still on every Saturday and this is how I get off. Okay, brother. When I get off work, I'm looking to get off. So get me my can of beer and I'm going to flick it. And I don't care how many Dana white contender series alumni are filling up this card. Well, then if that's your take, you're not watching this show either. Go back to just watching the fights. If you watch the fights and you actually care what are we doing here? International Fight Week main event. Ah, it's decent. What about the rest of the card? How about every other card coming up? They're all subpar right now. Why? Why, Mike? Why? Because we had to First pay off all. that WWE purchase? <laughs> is that what's going on? Is that is that really connected? Is that what's happening? I mean, I don't know why you're asking me. I don't know why you're asking me these questions. I do, I do like fantasy we, matchmaking. We all know, we all know the mean, answers to these questions. <laughs> it's, it is what it is. Jen, you're uh, making some faces. Me, oh, I mean, most of it, it's whatever. Uh, I will just say that I agree. I wish we were back to a meritocracy in some points. Uh, but I'm going to say the same thing about Bilal that I said about Leon until he um, ended up winning the title. And it's because I believe it with my whole chest, uh, even though I don't want to believe it because I think he does deserve it. Be interesting. 
like be interesting. And then this doesn't happen. Like you can shortcut so much of this by simply being interesting. And Bilal Muhammad is time and time again, not been interesting. I thought, I thought oh, with that Sean Brady, when he was turning a corner, I was like, man, look at him actually, actually finishing somebody. Look at him doing the thing. And then Bro, you want, Burns was, no. was broken and gassed and he just was there. And I recognize short notice, whatever, but like, you just, Again, he deserves it, but also try a little harder. Be a little more Dude, interesting in some way. You can't break Figure out the out. be interesting argument right now. You want to break that out when he's on his like eighth straight fight that he didn't lose and you're like arguing whether he deserves to be in the conversation. He I'm did not arguing. He-, he deserves to be there. I'm saying it, Look, but like I always I say also get a, it. The quickest path to Dana White's heart is to drop your hands and be fight like a maniac, right? And he'll give you a contract no matter what. Dana White set out the quickest path for Bilal to get a title. It doesn't even matter, dude, that you're in that you're observing Ramadan, that you're not even eating. You got three weeks to make this happen under our rules to save the card. Bilal was risking that entire 10 fight unbeaten streak or whatever it was. He was risking his chance at finally cashing in. He took the chance. He was physically the last man standing. I don't care anymore whether he can sell one ticket. He did exactly what the company asked you to do. They get there's two plan. There's two things that work in this sport. Okay, the plan for everybody else that they have to deal with, and then what the the star treatment gets. You can become a company man and enter into that star treatment when you do a solid for the company. Bilal did the solid. If they don't get him back on the other end. Why would you ever do anything anymore? Why would you? You're already getting paid nothing and you can't put dynamic fasteners on your ass anymore because we got to pay off our celebrity investors. Uh, like, Come on, dude. You just did exactly the secret code to get to the final level and get in the boss's office. It's Bilal or bust, dude, okay? And speaking of bust, he may have the best outside of the women's strawweight division in the whole game. That guy is a pectoral machine. <laughs> I like it. A little healthy debate. Uh, Last thing before we move on to whatever Tuesday was. Jed, Saturday was a pretty fun card. We had a lot of nice performances. We had some fights that delivered better than we could have possibly imagined. We had some low-key breakout performances in both winning and losing efforts. Who was the low-key MVP of UFC 288? Who was the the six-player award, if you will, of UFC 288? Low key MVP sixth player award. So I think that means I can't pick Yan Zhao Nan because she feels like a starter. She feels like she was in the starting rotation, right? Um, low key, I guess. I got two two in mind, but I'll go with the easier one. Uh, give me Ikram Alaskarov, the uh, Combat Sambo World Champion, makes his debut, dude. Dude got the as you've mentioned on a couple of different programs here. Mike, man's been getting the rub from Hamzat saying Hamzat saying it's the toughest guy I've ever fought, including Gilbert Burns. Uh, he's like eighteen and one or some absolutely ridiculous, with the only loss being the Hamzat loss. And he comes in against Phil Hawes, who's not a top fifteen guy, but is like a top twenty five dude. Been around the UFC block for a hot minute. Uh, good got skills can compete is sort of one of those he's a very middleweighty middleweight mike that's what phil Hawes is and ikram alaskarov yes i mean laid him out like city planning man it was brutal and efficient and quick 
uh, I was pretty high on this kid coming in and very excited to see where he goes in, in this middleweight division. So if we're going the deep cuts, that's my deep cut. Yep, I think Robert you get Moses the Moses joke, right? <laughs> I mean, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> that was very good. That was good. very good. I think Alice Garif should get the Brad Tavares uh, step up next, if we're being honest. But I'm that high on him as well. BC, who's your low-key MVP? Yeah, it's, it's easy. It's probably the other one that uh, that other guy would have had, and it is the uh, Steamroller, the uh, Ginger-Faced Rock and Roller. It is Matt Frivola. Dude, you get the preliminary main event slot against another absolute banger in Drew Dober. You know we're going to get a great fight, but how about, like, going all in and, and, and winning the hand and walking off, you know, hog wild, letting your thing hang in the wind? That's what Frivola did by the juice he had in that knockout and that they had to basically pull him off the – the bloodied fallen Dober and such an impressive knockout, but the timely call out of Patty Plimblet afterwards and, you know, using the old chail line and delivering it as with the boy next door sort of charm that Frivola did. You already want to see this guy more often because he's a fun TV fighter, but he's starting to show those teases that he may be more than that. And the win against Dober was a big one in the critical regard Imagine if he does stumble into something like the Paddy comeback. It's basically showing you that whether he gets pimblet or not, he's ready for big things. I think he's the kind of guy that the UFC would take a chance on to find out exactly what he has because he goes after it and goes for the KO. Uh, it was fun to see him leap right through my screen like that. Now, see, that was great matchmaking. That was excellent matchmaking because if Drew Dober yeah. wins – gets to get a ranked guy next we could start giving him a little bit of a push or if Matt Favola wins like he did he looks like a freaking star in that place the place went banana for him they loved him so and now he's a ranked fighter and as Jed said the the UFC's toughest division and globally as well so big win for Matt Favola. the correct Dude, the answer prelims was were good. I, I yeah, knew that's what you wanted I don't think Parker Porter is the right answer though uh he's <laughs> one step closer yeah he's one step closer to uh to a title shot and John Jones. So yeah, the rematch. Yeah. In the same way that if I stand up right now, I'm one step closer to walking to <laughs> in Wisconsin. Sure. It's, that is true by definition, but not practically. How dare you? The UFC loves storylines, and this is one of the best ones in the heavyweight division. But let us move on. The point Kennedy for round two, two goes to you. That's a great pick, too. Point for round two goes to. Representing the CT, Brian Campbell. It's one to one. It's because he pulled Robert Moses out of his ass. For a man who claims to be a vagabond dirtbag, he's dropping Robert Moses. Come on. What the hell is going on? I'm starting to think your whole persona's a lie, BC. You know, I'm the I'm the Billy Hoyle of MMA, all right? You know, you know oh, what I mean? Baby, man. <laughs> God, hard goddamn work. You know what I'm making something this, you know, pretty. Look, this, uh, yeah, there we go. Incredible white man can't jump drop right there. So, uh, let's let's move on. Movie? Oh, I know. I saw the preview, and there's just some movies you don't touch, and that would probably be one of that. them. Yeah, I have no interest in seeing it, but I probably will. BC, you you mentioned earlier. Uh, there are some people on the corner say go back to boxing and you are the boxing expert here so that's technically what we're gonna do so i'm excited to get your take on things because on tuesday bc and i don't know how these boxing press conferences normally work especially the the on sale ticket ones we had our first press conference with jake paul and nathan diaz ahead of their boxing match in august in dallas texas and uh as ak likes to say 
It was a press conference, that's for sure. It was a weird one. Nate didn't want to be there, it seemed. He kept getting up. He took a piss at one point, which is hilarious. Jake was trying to get Nate a little riled up, and Nate's just like, eh, don't really care. Uh, and then we had some idiot challenge Nick Diaz to a fight. It, it was it was tough scenes all around. So, Professor Campbell, how would you grade this first presser in interaction, if you will, between Jake Paul and Nate Diaz? From from my point of view of what I'm looking for, which is, you know, what has Jake Paul been able to do in this crossover bubble? Make celebrity sizzle fights feel almost legitimate, right? This was like a C minus for me, though, because this felt more like an influencer event than, you know, this felt more like KSI misfits. Dylan Dennis just got KO'd in the parking lot. Then it felt like what it should be, which is, to be fair, this is like the steakhouse fight of this era of this crossover celebrity slash influencer slash, you know, Mike Tyson's coming out of retirement. Like this has been a weird bubble for boxing pay-per-view coming out of the pandemic. Jake's been the captain of it. Him against Nate Diaz should be, especially all the hurdles we had to get through of Nate getting out of his UFC deal and Hamzad agreeing, you know, to UFC's demands to come in so much overweight so they could switch the fights. And then of course, you know, then Nate could go out with a win so that he'll be, not mad or broken enough to still come back and fight Connor in a trilogy next year on UFC. Like we get that, but ultimately it's like, like Nate was right. Why weren't the fans there? If you're going to lean into shit show, let it be a shit show. Let it be a trash talking war. Instead. What was it? It was shots fired from the MMA and boxing uh, media sphere. And it kind of just made this look like a buffoonery event. And Nate wasn't interested. There wasn't enough intense back and forth trash talk in a Connor way, but very few can pull that off to be able to really hold your attention. You know, I mean, Ariel looked, you know, okay in the double breasted suit. Shout out to him. But uh, a lot around that, it was just sort of like, this feels like bullshit when. I want this to feel big. I was on the ground. I covered almost every, you know, iteration of the Jake Paul or Logan Paul experience. And it's been mixed. Sometimes, though, it's been promoted well and you can talk yourself into, you know what? These guys ain't that bad. There's a storyline. There's a thing here. This fight should trump all of that. Yet I came out of the press conference less excited to see it than I actually maybe was coming in. I thought... Jake Paul's lost to Tommy Fury, the first legitimate boxer he fought, although legitimate is obviously under question, that the loss would go, okay, this just means he's no longer chasing Canelo anymore. Let's get back to being the best influencer fighter we have. Oh, now your villain at the end of the video game has arrived, Nate Diaz. Let's do it, dude. Let's not even think about the fact that you're really two weight divisions apart and that it's weird right now. Let's just do it. Now they're going to do it, but I don't really care anymore. I did shout out to the guy who was like, hey, you know, Nate, what's it like fighting a guy who's definitely not going to be in the boxing hall of fame? I mean, there was just, you know, I mean, like, what are we doing here? We're just pissing all over the place. Who invited R. Kelly? What's going on? Damn. <laughs> Jed, uh, I believe you were one of the people covering this presser, if memory serves it correctly. I think that was one of your duties on Tuesday. Uh, BC gave it a C minus. I feel that's kind of a generous grade. Yeah, I it's hard for me to say because pressers just don't hit for me. Like I don't I don't I, I understand them. I simply don't do not care <laughs> about any of them. So I, this was a bad one in the scheme of press conferences. I don't know where they were doing it, but it it felt way too big. Like right? Like it felt like there were just like five reporters because it was the same like six 
dudes from the same one media outlet kept asking questions. So it didn't feel like there was a bunch of reporters. It was just the two of them. It felt like a big space that needed fans around and there wasn't like that fan energy. So it was just the energy of the two guys. And Nate Diaz is never going to have a high level of energy for some shit like that. That's beneath him. And Jake Paul was being weird and it's like vacillating between trying to be respectful of Nate and, and what this is and getting mad at the reporters for being like, Hey, you're not going to, he's never going to be in the hall of fame. That was the, the best part of the press conference when Jake, Jake Paul got like pissed off when that dude said that was like, why do you think I won't be in the hall of fame? I mean, I've done more for boxing than anyone. I feel like I'm going to be in, like, I could totally be in the Hall of Fame, which is obviously an absurd thing, but that's sort of what the whole thing was. It was, is very weird. This whole, the whole influencer boxing thing sort of is built on odd contention and some level of fan interest. And so to not have it like in an arena filled with fans or a venue where there were just a bunch of people and kind of ambient noise around just felt, weird and shitty and not it's not good you know if neither of, jake paul was not trying to do the conor mcgregor thing to stand across from nate diaz and and galvanize people and so it just fell flat and frankly probably took away some interest in this fight moving forward jed you've you've basically throughout the history of this program you have taken us on a roller coaster ride with this jake paul boxing thing you were staunchly against it then you got into it after going to one you're in Triller, you're out. The, one of the best events i've ever been to it was yeah, so, and then so stupid it's so fun the tommy fury fight i mean you were on the corner just selling that one to people who were on the fence and now we get this fight, which was to be expected, right? He loses to Tommy Fury. Even if he beat Tommy Fury, he's probably going to go in this direction anyhow. Where are you at right now with a little over three months to go? Are you in? Are you out? Are you excited about this fight? Where are you at with it? Mid. I think I'll get a little more interest as the fight gets a little more close to happening, right? Because that's, in general, just how fight sport works. And this is not like... The only fights that I'm like up three months in advance for are like the best fighters in the world competing against each other, like the pinnacle of combat. That's for sure. Yes. Like I am right now already pretty excited about Volkanovsky versus Yair Rodriguez. Like that fight, I'm like, okay, hell yeah, that's going to be dope. This fight is just not rise to that level. I'm sure I'll get there a little more. I will say, and I said after the Tommy Fury loss, the Tommy Fury loss makes this fight more compelling because, frankly, after Anderson Silva, which was a fight that I never expected Jake Paul to take, that he took and that he won, legitimately won, uh, I, I was like, well, I don't need to see him fight Nate Diaz now because – Nate Diaz isn't as good at this as, as Anderson Silva is. And I think that still holds true. And I think that Jake Paul will probably ultimately win this fight, but because he did lose, if he had beaten Tommy Fury, I would have almost no interest in this because he lost. We get to see how he rebounds. He was talking at the press conference about making wholesale changes to his camp. He's brought Shane Mosley back in, uh, to, to be his coach and work with him. Um, you know, I do think Nate Diaz is going to be prepared for this. This isn't going to be a Ben Askren kind of, fight here but 
it's I, I need them to sell this more or for the fight to simply have closer proximity where I still won't be like, hell yeah, make sure you tune in. But I'll be like, all right, Saturday, let's that'll be something to watch and I, I will tune it in for it. But if we don't get something else from them, some more genuine interaction, it doesn't have to be negative. It can be positive. The ending where they were doing the little play slap boxing was like like a little bit of something they had some moments when they were talking when nate was like loosely talking about thinking he choked out logan or whatever like there there's something there they just weren't it wasn't there on tuesday and so i need some more of that to be like all right let's go like let's this is something i'm very very interested in can i see can they get you back oh go ahead yes they can get me back so here's the deal the only thing i didn't like about what jed said mostly was that it can be good energy no it has to be bad blood It has to be bad energy so here's ultimately where jake failed and i'm surprised by it i'm surprised jake wasn't a better student of how to sell fights because there is that pt barnum nature in him where he can just kind of get you to whether you care or not, he can get you to tune in and take notice of what he's doing in general. I think he should have looked at what ultimately became a boring promotion when Masvidal fought Nate Diaz and realized Nate Diaz has severe limitations. It's not what he says in the build to a fight necessarily. Uh, if you can get him mad enough where he's going to have actions, that's where the real money is. But it's what he represents, the coolness factor, the tough guy factor, the he don't give a shit factor. I think right now Jake messed up because Jake, I think, is smart enough as a salesman, whether you like him or not, that he knows he can play the baby face in a pro wrestling sense to sell a fight and play the villain when he needs to. Here's where he needed to have played the villain. You have to get the MMA fan base against you. Nate has arguably never been more beloved than he is right now. He, he always got huge cheers because people respected him and his brother and what they stood for. But if you took notice to the cheers in Nate's most recent UFC comeback, it's like folk hero status. You know what I mean? Like he didn't accomplish what Chavez Sr. did to Mexican boxing fans, but there's like this glue magnet reverence to him. I think if you're Jake, you should have been from the beginning of, look, I know I just lost it to a real boxer in Tommy Fury, but it was close, and I'm going to get him back in the rematch. This fight, to me, though, this fight's a joke. Nate's too old. He's too small. He's a bum. He blah, blah, blah. He can't fight. I'm the real boxer. I got Shane Mosley back. I've got real pro fights under my belt. What's this guy got? One sparring session with Andre Ward? He's just a slapper. Is any of that real, or will it hit? It doesn't matter. You got to get people that want to tune in to shut you the hell up thinking that you know more about boxing and that you don't know MMA and you don't realize how much of a fighter Nate really is. That's what the attitude of the buyer should be, in my opinion. You're also going to bring in the crowd that just wants to see a shit show at that point and see some trash talking stuff. And then you might be able to retain enough of the real fight fans who could, could, because of the loss to Fury, as we mentioned, talk yourselves into the idea of Nate overcoming the size difference and making a real fight that's fun to watch and competitive. I think the biggest uh, problem here for this is if the promotion is a turd, there's still that potential that the fight is as well. If Jake is too big and Nate does quiet Nate things by not throwing enough punches and already preparing his post-argument of why he got strewn on the scorecards, that's still in play. So at least make the ride to get there fun. I didn't love the Tyron Woodley versus Jake Paul experience, but I agree on one thing. They sold the shit out of that first fight. I actually cared. I was there on the ground. It, it felt kind of big in the moment, to be fair. I want to feel that for this matchup because it feels like a slam dunk. But Jake, you got to play the right role. You got to press the right buttons. You got to get the fans to be pushing for Nate and be pissed at you. You did meme stuff instead. Nate's not in the meme culture, all right? Nate, don't go with that shit. You got to meet him on his 
terms and then insult the shit out of him. I know that sounds like some carnival court jester shit, but that's the boxing bubble you've built. You know, well BC said. makes a good point there. Like he makes a good point in that part of the allure to Jake Paul fights for a certain subset of people is wanting to watch him lose, right? Like that's particularly the MMA fan base where he kind of cultivated that image of I'm beating all of your heroes, eat a bag or whatever. Like that's gone now, right? So he lost. So, so that's gone. And we kind of talked about it beforehand, before that fight. Like what happens if Jake Paul loses? How long does this ride keep going? So BC makes a good point because like he probably should be trying to be a bit more of a dick. Like that's that that it that will galvanize certainly the MMA fan base to be like, let's watch our hero beat you because that's what Nate Diaz does. Even though mostly he doesn't win, um, he wins spiritually a, among a certain subset of the fans. So you know what, BC, well well said. Yes, and Nate did his best work after the press conference when he's doing the interviews and the scrums, and he by far did his best work in those interviews than he did at the press conference. But that's usually not a he's, not he's not like phenomenal in press conferences usually. I just want to remind you that I did this on a community college education. Okay, I didn't need no, I didn't okay, need sure. no sixth year. All right, mm-hmm. <laughs> you've been, but you've been hanging those out with Luke facts. forever. You're you're lear- you're getting you're getting smarter through osmosis. Just by I'm being still just there. trying to figure out if William and Mary consummated. That's all I know about Luke's uh, academic background. All right. <laughs> oh man. Well, I think we can all figure out who's going to be in the lead after the point for round number three, and that goes to. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it goes to Brian Campbell. It's two to one. <laughs> What a show. We just ended now. So it might be the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard on this program. <laughs> There's like a top five list of most ridiculous things on this program. And I think three of them have come from this episode in just the most <laughs> positive possible way. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, so this weekend, gentlemen, we have uh, the UFC in Charlotte, North Carolina, Jailton Almeida versus Jarzinho Rosenstrike, the main event. We love heavyweight main events, an ABC card, and this gets a notch above early day MMA. So we love that. And then tomorrow, Bellator has an event in Paris, Gegar Boussassi versus Fabian Edwards, the main event. We have a first round lightweight Grand Prix matchup between Mansar Barnwi and Brent Primus, who gets slotted into the tournament with the winner getting a title shot against Usman Nurmagomedov in the next round. Again, early day MMA. We support that. So 
Jed, what are you looking forward to the most this weekend? And what's one burning question you have from each of these cards? Okay, so the obvious answer that I'm looking forward to the most is having a Saturday night to do something and go be social because that is easily the selling point for the UFC this week. Some people are out here being um, maybe not full contrarian, but at least at least inviting some level of controversy into their souls by saying that this is a good card. It's not a good card. You know how I know it's not a good card? Because this card's happening in Charlotte, which is not a very long drive away from me, and I love going to events. Frequently will attend them if they are in driving distance. I looked at this card and was like, I'm good. You know what? I'll, I'll just catch this on the television. It'll be okay. Even knowing that I could have gone, worked it, and been home before midnight because it is an early day car, I was like, I'll pass. I'll be okay. It's just, it's a fight card, man. Like it's, this is, as, as BC had ta- alluded to earlier in the show, this is what we get. Like this is just sort of how it goes. Even when we're out of the apex and this is probably a slight step up from an apex card we're still looking at a 12 fight event where four of the fights are light heavyweight and heavyweight matchups that's just not going to be a card that sings to anybody's spirit so for the ufc uh that i'm I'm looking forward to being done some of the fights are fine um the main event is is what it is we will get either get the future of heavyweight or we'll get a really funny (laughs) very very funny knockout it's pretty much the only way that that goes if i have one question for this card uh it's gonna be just simply as is is the future now is daniel rodriguez i think is ranked in the ufc welterweight rankings he may be a far for us he's you know a top 20 ish kind of guy ian gary is getting his step up i think it's a really appropriate step up he's shown a lot of flashes but also shown some faults and this is sort of the test to see, hey, are you are you really ready to be here to start being a, a legitimate presence in the top 15 or not? And so that's, I would say, by far my biggest question for the UFC. As far as Bellator, uh, it's fine. Again, another fight card. Bellator has actually had a very good 2023 in my estimation, and this is certainly not a bad fight card. Uh, it's on Friday, which gives it a little bit extra because then I don't have to be, you know, staying up late on Saturday when I wouldn't have to be for the UFC and again, midday. And I love the co-main event. Um, I love Manswabu Barnui. He's awesome. Super big fan of watching him work. I think he's going to hand it to Brent premise. The main event is uh, your mileage will vary. Does Gegard have anything less left? And I guess that's the question for this event is does Gegard have anything left in the tank? Cause against Eblin, he, Looked a little tough in there, but Johnny Eblen's real, real damn good. And Gegard's just sort of been in that place for many years, it feels like, where he can have these mercurial performances. So was that just a one-off for him, or is that sort of time catching up to him in 67 fights or whatever the hell his long-ass career is? So that's my question. Both of them, fine. You got nothing else to do on either of these days? Watch them. You won't be that disappointed. But if you're busy... Tune into MMAfighting.com. We got you covered. Great website. BC, burning questions for each of these cards. Uh, my burning question is who booked this UFC card? Where have you gone, Holloway Cater, right? Our, you know, our nation turns its lonely eyes to you. I mean, J- JDS versus Kane won for the title. I remember when, like, the – God, Dillashaw versus Cejudo. Remember when, you know, we used to make these special cards feel special? 
Oh, we got Jairzinho. So we're clear. The main I was at Holloway Cater, and outside of that main event, that card was also not good. Okay, well, this this like I, I like some of the fights on this card, but this is an ABC close up and and not good. You did nail one thing: the uh, Daniel Rodriguez versus Ian Gary is, I think, the best fight of the weekend in terms of uh, you know potential for me to be entertained and learn a lot, and that's what I'm trying to do in that fight. And that seems to be the theme in general for these matchups, even on the Bellator card with the Musasi. Uh, we're trying to learn whether someone is ready for it now, like an Ian Gary, or whether it's time to go home, like a Musasi. Not go home for good. I think if I have the biggest question about that Bellator card, it may be a go home for good situation on that main card where former well weight champion Diego uh, uh, Lima. Am I, did I get the I, him and his brother? Da, I was, yeah, Douglas Lima. I, I'll I'll do that forever. Call you Patricky Pip uh, Patrico. You know what I mean. But the whole point is this: Look, Douglas Lima's lost four in a row, and a couple are certainly explainable moving up in weight and losing the middleweight title to Musasi, you know, and he fought well in a split the decision loss back at Walter Way to MVP and wrestled and showed like, Hey, maybe in my late thirties, now I'm 35. I can figure out a second gear here to, to stay and be relevant, but he still have four losses and he's got Costello Van Steenis in front of him who has a victory over Fabian Edwards who fights in that main event recently. And so you know, this is going to be a tough out to see if he's coming back, if he's still going to be keep doing this anymore in this sport for a guy that just, I mean, just like around the corner, we were talking about where he ranks in the global level at Walter Waite. But I, look, in that UFC card, it's, man, I mean, I do have the same questions here about Johnny Walker, who's not, not necessarily in a win-loss position to lose a job or to finally cash in on 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 the bright prospect you know figuring himself out he's had the waves and the ups and downs but when you get anthony smith in a big fight here and you're on a two-fight winning streak and you're maybe showing signs of figuring out what's the best use of this change in your fighting life of going to sbg and john cavanaugh and i think at times trying too much to reinvent yourself um johnny walker tends to finish people in the first round or lose that's what we figured out going up and down his wikipedia page I like when he acts a little bit more wild than, than anything else. Uh, I like the matchmaking here. This fight's good, him against Anthony Smith. You can argue it should be the main event, to be fair. I want to see if Johnny what Johnny Walker's going to look like in the title picture if he can get there. I, I, I don't feel confident that the time is now. Every other fight, I feel something extremely different. But that seems to be the question I'm looking at because, damn, that guy's a physical specimen who can stumble his way into knocking you out. But I haven't felt that ever since he lost to Corey Anderson. I haven't, I haven't sniffed that smell anymore. Um, I'd like to I'd like to get a whiff of that come Saturday night afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> that's just awkward. How do we get out of this? Yeah, all right, there we go. Yeah, all right. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, look, you 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 say you echo what a lot of people say, BC. A lot of people feel like Anthony Smith, Johnny Walker should unquestionably be the main event here. And the UFC made the switcheroo a few weeks back to shrugs i guess to do this rosenstrike almeida fight and this was kind of my thought bc and i want to get your take on this because to me i think they're they're going to try and strap the rockets to one jail to almeida they're going to give him this prime spot on abc they're going to try to put him over big to as big of audience as they possibly can right now because it seems like their current champion john jones has an exit strategy in place, or at least a extended break strategy in place after the Steve Miocic fight, whenever that happens, unless they can get Francis Ngannou back. And maybe Jailton Almeida is part of this contingency plan that if Jones does what he'll says that he says he's going to do and walks away, they can have a vacant title fight ready 
between Sergei Pavlovich and Jelton Almeida. Now, do you agree with that or do you have a different theory or are you just like, what the frig are we doing here putting this fight in the main event spot over Anthony Smith and Johnny Walker? Uh, so look, I wouldn't doubt that that's a potential play in their playbook as they look to the future. Uh, I've I've you know spoken ad nauseum on multiple platforms, including this show right here, about uh, my my questions in general. I know they're keeping prices down, but some of the matchmaking moves are head scratchers. But if you want to talk me into they see Almeida as a key piece, whether it's facing against John or like you're saying in, falling into an interim role, um, I, I'd like to find out too. So I don't hate that. Look, I get it. It's just you know. Damn. I mean, look, this guy's impressive. He's got 13, what is it, 12 or 13 straight wins, all by all finishes. I mean, absolutely you want to find out and see. Maybe I'm just out on the Rosenstruck uh, experience, uh, you know, with all of his ups and downs and just kind of know where he's at. But um, I really hope we don't get an interim title fight just because John wants six months off. Like, I don't know. There's some of that wrangling. Like, if you want to – the only time I really justify the abuse of an interim title opportunity <laughs> – is if you're trying to get like a star name to come back or you're trying to book a fight that's really hard to make for whatever reason, but putting the interim title slot on there gets it enough money and puts it, you know, in the tax bracket it needs to to make it happen, fine. But if John just needs six extra months to walk off a, you know, a hip strainer or something like what? Come on, right? Get yeah. off my lawn. Why? I, I don't even like <laughs> MMA anymore. I mean, what's happening here? You know what I mean? There it is. All right. <laughs> Jad, BC do you think just there's any like truth interim or? belts? Oh, BC just doesn't like interim belts because he's a boxing guy, and so it feels a lot too much like like yeah. something he knows. Oh, everybody has a belt. This is bullshit now. now Don't you bring your whorehouse to my, my city. Don't do it. Don't do it. I, I've I've seen it. And <laughs> didn't know you were a NIMBY. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but if John says he retired, look, if John drops the R word and says I'm retiring, I'm done. Take the belt from me. This is a nice little plan, Jed. Or do you think the UFC just loves heavyweight main events and that's more of the reason for this? I think it's more that. Um, the only reason that I that I don't well, – that it would make more sense to me to have Anthony Smith versus uh, Johnny Walker in the main is that this fight – if this fight lasts 15 minutes, if Rosenstrike versus Almeida lasts 15 minutes, it will probably be one of the worst fights you've ever seen – and it will be objectively funny. Like this thing is lasting at most like eight minutes probably. So they could have just put it in the co-main and then the, you know, Anthony Smith and Johnny Walker, which also probably does frankly end soon, could maybe have some more room to work if it needs it. But it's, I don't think this is, hey, Jailton Almeida is going to be fighting John Jones or for the belt next or whatever. I think this is just let's let Jailton Almeida headline against a, a win. If he can continue doing this on ABC, this guy has shown the most promise of the heavyweights outside of maybe Tommy Aspinall, who doesn't have a working knee currently, though I know I think that's almost back to working. So they're going to give him an opportunity to shine. If he can take advantage of it, then maybe we can move him along rather quickly. So which I'm fine with because Jailton Almeida has been really fun, which is not something you say about a lot of heavyweights. So yeah, this is fine. It's fine. That's every UFC card now is fine, except for a couple of pay-per-view events a year, which are awesome. That's sort of the life we live. I have a feeling we're going to touch on this subject a little bit more, but yeah, but the there will be one person happy, Jed, if that fight goes 15 minutes, and it's you, isn't it? Sure will for be the me. Heavyweight, for the heavyweight over magic, right? Woo! 
Yeah, I don't feel great about it, but um, the last time out, Jailton cashed our heavyweight over bet at a a robust plus two fifty or something like that. So <laughs> we're uh, we're hoping we're hoping he plays with this food a little this weekend. Well, let's see what happens with this final point of regulation. The point for round four goes to. And it rhymes. Jed Mishu. There we go. It's two to two. Who could have seen it coming? I know. I mean, history being made all over the place. All right. Nowhere. Final question. And it's been talked about a couple of times here. So I figured let's just put it up here and let, let's let these guys get a minute. And damn it, BC, I mean one minute to discuss this topic. I was going to say, uh, by a minute, you mean five? <laughs> Uh, BC, you did. You were victorious the last time you were here. Uh, do you want to go first, or do you want to pass it on over to Jed? Either way, I think you're going to ha- enjoy this question and, and saying things that you would like t- to get off of your chest here. Um, I'm going to I'm going to go second this time. Okay, Jed Mishu, we will go to you. Uh, so yesterday, Dana White made some more announcements. He officially announced the. Alexander Volkanovsky, Yair Rodriguez, main event for UFC 290 International Fight Week. And now we have, with some more news yesterday, the next two months of main events for the UFC are laid out. And it begins with Rosenstrike Almeida this weekend. And it ends <laughs> ends with a targeted bout between Holly Holm and Myra Bueno Silva on July 15th. So we're here are the main events for the next two months. Rosenstrike Almeida, Mackenzie Dernangel Hill, Kai Car France, Amir Albazi, Amanda Nunes, Irini Aldana, Marvin Vittori versus Jared Cannonier, Holy Middle Lady, Josh Emmett, Ilya Taporia, Sean Strickland, Abis Magomedov, Volkanovsky Rodriguez, Home Bueno Silva. Jed, I would like you to grade the next two months for the UFC in terms of main events and why. One minute on the clock, go. Uh, as far as a letter and or number grade, let's go with – it's a failing grade. You don't get to pass for this. So 50? Like I don't I don't know. It is – it's a, an F. It is an F. No <laughs> lie. When you – when I looked at this and I commented something mean on Twitter the other day looking at this schedule, I did not realize until just this moment that Sean Strickland was taking on Abus Magomedov, who I didn't know was a human being and just had to pull up his tapology. So it's like I don't recall who this is off the top of my head. Uh, and that really speaks to what we're talking about here, man. Like these are my tweet yesterday was essentially if I'm a casual fan or if I'm somebody not like super invested, I'm taking the summer off. The only of this, the only fight of this that is must watch is, uh, Volkanovsky Rodriguez. Everything else is whatever. And that's the UFC with the ESPN deal, man. It's just whatever. All right. BC, I laid them all out. Nine main events. I'm sure each one in your mind is better than the next. Give it a grade. Give it a grade and explain why. One minute on the clock and go. All right. As upset as I am and mad, man, am I boiling mad. Um, I can't call it an F. It's more of like a D, but it's on the road to an F. And not only because I come from boxing where the lack of organization just creates this – 
wild west pool of sharks that you know gets in the way of great things happening on the regular I don't want to see this happen to the sport of MMA, but why do we have fear when our favorite brands become corporate and get bought out by bigger brands? You know, there's split. One of them is we don't want the, the flavor to change, the message to change, the brand, what it's known for. I mean, if I'm a Brazzers guy and I'm not, but Disney buys it, you know, I might have questions about what the future looks like and the message that's coming through there. But the other side of it is financially, is UFC now being a power player with Endeavor, which just bought WWE. Are they now being, uh, you know, cutting every possible penny and corner to try to keep funds down for all the debt that's accrued of the larger company dating back to buying the UFC for over $4 billion in 2016? You could tell me no. You could tell me the WWE thing has nothing to do with it. But why across the board are we seeing fight cards that are so watered down, that are filled up with non-Wikipedia having paged guys who came right out of the Dana White contender series and are all managed by like the same two guys um, that are being paid nothing to come out here and just try to, you know, earn a spot and raise their hand. That's not like, oh, we're in a rough month and those two cards weren't up to speed. That's every single fight card across the board. I know for a fact that these guys are still alive. Why can't my, you know, why can't Gaethje and Poirier face each other for the second time on on, on IFW? You know what I mean? If I'm going to go there for the fan fest in the Hall of Fame, I want to see some sex, right? Like in the cage, I want to see the good stuff. I don't want this second-rate stuff. Mackenzie Dern versus Angela Hill in the main event, dude. Come on, like really? What are we doing here? So the problem is, folks, I come from boxing. I've lived this life. Welcome. It sucks, okay? It's the worst. Come on. Right to your local senator. We need change. Why do I always see slap videos everywhere I look? I want my MMA. When did they take music videos off MTV? It went, it failed, right? What's next? I thought thought for sure. Or we were going through the second 60 seconds. I thought for sure we we're going through the well, second 60 seconds. Well, he didn't start the timer until deep into <laughs> it. So. Uh, incredible. BC, oh, by the I way. I don't understand uh, how you – the one thing you picked out to like really target on was the international – international fight week card is actually good. It's the only card that is good. Uh, All of the rest I mean, of them it, are it, bad. It, no, it is good. But you you expect great in a major. We don't have British Open, U.S. Open, and that bullshit. You know what we have? International International Fight Week Week is a great MSG, December in Vegas. That's what we have. Make it matter to me. Do I have to put on a red hat to change things around here? International Fight Week is great. Like, it is a great card. Assuming it holds up. I mean, it's months away. But Volk, Rodriguez, Moreno, Pantoja, two or three. Whitaker, DDP. Turner Hooker, Bo Nickel coming back. It's a great card. The rest Don't forget about poop. Mr. Dabalina against Sean Brady, dude. This, I mean, there's some good fights on there. I was asking, though, for great. I was asking for it, okay? I mean, I think these are great. I think every one of these other cards is poop. <laughs> but fight week is great. Uh, apparently, because a lot of people were asking with this Holly Holm, this Holly Holm, Ira Bueno Silva news, uh, what does that mean for RDA versus Vicente Luque? Well, the great Guillermo Cruz and Damon Martin have reported that that fight will now be taking place August 12th. Uh, so it's supposed to be five rounds, targeted to be the main event. So there's another potential main event for all y'all on August the 12th. So there you go. Cast oh. your votes. <laughs> go ahead. Also, why did we stop our list at the home Buena Silva? After that's Aspinall, Tybura, 
Are we are we getting out of our chairs in anticipation for? I mean, I guess it's London, so that's it's kind not of not in the cool, two months. But stretch. still, but still. So I mean, bad. Tommy Aspinall is going to look like a like a gigantic star over there. So, and that's actually like not a blockbuster by any stretch of the imagination. But I am bad card. Weirdly <laughs> fascinated by that fight in a, on an island just by itself, that's not say, maybe as a five round main event. <laughs> Say you're on an island being fascinated by that fight. I don't I don't think there are a lot because of people that are stoked on it. Is it gonna be a fight of the year? Absolutely not. But will Tommy Aspinall be challenged in that fight? I Tommy think there's a Aspen, chance he could Aspinall, be. So Tommy Aspinall. That's the thing. No, 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 no. Great singing. Uh cast your votes. Who wins? Brian or Jed? And the fact that Casey's face has arrived on the bottom right hand corner of the screen tells me that the votes are in and it's probably not all that close. Uh Preview show tomorrow at noon Eastern. Go ahead, Casey. How much did Brian Campbell win this matchup by? Wow. Great, 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 great Who, show. Who's gentlemen. to say I won't be in the Hall of Fame, Mike? <laughs> you can still be in the Hall show. of Fame. With 14% of the votes, we had a draw. <laughs> 14%. But with 52% of the votes, our winner today is... And still undefeated, Brian Campbell. 5-0, and oh, oh, BC. Yeah. We gotta get Gets it BC. done. Got to get BC versus Drake just to see those fan bases fight. Yeah, that would be a that'd be a hell of a matchup. BC, congratulations on your Thank fifth you. consecutive victory. It's wonderful to have you here. Thirty seconds. Anything you want to say to the fine folks at home? Not really. You could like watch me on Morning Combat with the Luke Thomas guy Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, but that's about it. Um, enjoy your MMA this summer. <laughs> Jed, I mean, what do you want to say here? You can you can take. I mean, he, you, technically, you should go for like two and a half minutes to make up for. Nah, love lost time love here. competing with BC. It's always a good time. Uh, knew what we were getting into when we got here. Thought maybe I'd have a chance because he did a lot of old man yelling at the clouds today. But the fans <laughs> just love him. And and how can you not? How can you not? He's a learned man. Just knows who Bobby Moses is. He's 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 an educated, high level guy. So how do you not love him? I mean, it's just the matchup that dreams are made of right there. And we appreciate you guys watching. Those are listening after the fact or watching after the fact. We appreciate you as well. Casey, hit the music. Time to go home. Actually, time for me to go pick my child up at school sooner rather than later. So thank you all very much. Back next week, we'll recap the magic that is UFC Charlotte and Bellator Paris. And we'll be getting you ready for Mackenzie Dern versus Angela Hill. Quite possibly the worst fight night of all time. <laughs> For Jeff, Casey, One of the worst events I've ever seen. Brian Campbell, I am Mike Eck. Thank you for watching. Back next week. Good night, everybody. Love y'all. This has been Between the Links, and then fighting production on the Vox Media Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. 
only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible. Ability and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.